Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, you are Reed, and we are sad. It was a terrible Saturday evening. Um, honestly, from a neutral perspective, it was probably phenomenal. But um, as someone who, you know, <laughs> as people who support this program, as I'm willing to wager pretty much all of our audiences, uh, it was not great in pretty much every way. Um, so I don't know. Initial reactions to Washington 37, Oregon 34. Um I don't know, Reed. What was what was your first thought when uh, this game was finally over? When Bo Nix's pass lands on like the fifteen yard line and the it actually is over. What's your first thought? It's all too familiar. I would say that's my mm. first thought. I felt the same way uh, as I did with the Arizona State game, probably in twenty nineteen. Similarly, even to I think how I felt. Uh, in the 2020 game, I think against Oregon State was the first loss, or maybe it was, yeah, I think Oregon State was the first loss mm-hmm. that year, weirdly, because it wasn't at the end in that COVID year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I could go back to early 2010s losses as well, but I'll spare the audience. I think. <laughs> you mean the ones we mentioned all week leading <laughs> up to this? Those, those ones? <laughs> right, exactly. It was just tough. Uh, I, I mean,. Honestly, it was a weird game. It wasn't entirely different from what I expected going into it. I think we gave a pretty fair preview of the game. I didn't leave the game feeling like the line was horribly off. Uh, You know, I think, I mean, Washington, I felt like played close to an A game, aside from that one Penix interception. And I think the Ducks played uh, definitely not their A game. Um, But the... You can go a lot of different ways. I mean, biggest concern is the defense and the passing game. I think that uh, we have to have a conversation about Tosh calling plays at this point. It There was no answer to what Washington had. Uh, But what were your big takeaways first? Oh, I mean, as as I discussed with you before we started recording, I don't... I I was at the game. I got surprised with the ticket like midweek. It might have even been after... We recorded either way. Um, I was super excited to be at the game. It was amazing atmosphere. Like game day atmosphere was perfect. The weather was perfect. Everything was perfect except for the final result. <laughs> um, honestly, like I would have been perfectly fine with like a overtime win or any sort of win, obviously. Um, because I'm with you. I think the line, you know, was somewhat accurate. Maybe could have been more like 10 points instead of right. two touchdowns. But, I mean, what are we really arguing with there? My instant reactions after the game, though, were just despair um, and sadness and anger and all the all the bad feelings that you can think of pretty much consumed me for the rest of the evening. Uh, my friend and I had chicken noodle soup from Market of Choice. It was a very depressing scene. Like we got back to our friend's apartment and just ate soup and drank whiskey and it was terrible. <laughs> um, so my instant reaction, you know, it was funny because while the game was happening and you mentioned this, I was literally thinking to myself like, wow, we scouted this thing perfectly. Like everything that we pointed out as a possible, you know, it was it was all by the book. Like yeah. nothing was super surprising about the game. Um except maybe the couple defensive stops that happened in that first (laughs) half. Um, But by and large, I mean, like you said, I think we did a great job previewing this. 
I'm okay with, as listeners will know at this point, I'm okay with the playoff talk being aside. Like, thank God we don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of a yearly exercise for us at this point, but now we can finally focus on just winning games and not mm-hmm. having to posture like to, to get more playoff clout. Yeah. Worry um, about, we don't have to worry about anyone else now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Except ourselves, which I mean, I think that's the biggest theme of this game was, and kind of of this season was like Oregon couldn't get, get couldn't get out of its own way at different points. Um, obviously, like UW's offense is legit. I'm not gonna quibble with that. Like Michael, Michael Penix had like 400 yards. Whether it was Bennett Williams who got torched twice or somebody else, I mean, it's not just his fault. Like it was everybody really. I mean, nobody. And on Penix that Oregon was dealing stops. Yeah, man, he was making insane throws. Like I. We got to give our due respect to him. He was playing a really, really good game. Um, And like you said, even with Washington bringing their absolute best, it still took Oregon shooting ourselves in the foot in a couple of really key moments to make this thing really happen. Um, So I don't know. I I talked about the vibes around the stadium. They were very awesome. Uh, Honestly, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but... Even the Washington fans I met there were very chill and very un-Washington-like. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every other encounter I've had with the purple wearers has been unpleasant by all accounts, either by my doing or theirs, to be fair. Um, but this time they were chill. like They were realistic about their expectations for the game, um, and they were actually somewhat nice for the, the most part. I'm sure people had other experiences. But... <laughs> I'm sure as well. Uh, yeah, so let's keep going on um, general thoughts about this game before we kind of dig into those key moments we're talking about. Um, positives and negatives. Uh, what are your positive and or negative takeaways? You can go whatever order you want from this game. I still think this offense is really good, is the big positive. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed with Bo Nix in there, and we'll talk about that more uh, as we discuss the Utah preview later. But... Yeah, that that's one of the things I didn't expect from this game was for Oregon to leave, you know, 10 or 13 points on the table here. And they definitely did that in this game and still were able to put up a really good number. Uh, showed off, I think, obviously late in the game, the versatility we've been talking about all season and something I wrote about in my preview article as a real difference between Oregon and Washington is that Oregon was able to shift a gear down, move into a conservative run game, and execute the type of drive that they did with that 10-minute drive at the end there. Didn't finish it off, obviously, but that was an advantage that I think showed through for Oregon that put them in a position to win the game until things went south in that final four minutes. Uh, I still feel good about what this offense can be. Again, if Bo Nix is the quarterback, which is a big if right now. Um, But that side of the ball, the performance was good. Uh, And then otherwise, you know, I talked about it going into this. I said, this is a game where Oregon just has to find two or three stops. And they can happen in any way, you know. It was kind of... field goals or stops, too. Yeah, right. Totally. And... Oregon, honestly, uh, they found a couple, but also when Oregon really needed one more, uh, there were 
a long list of places that we'll get into that Oregon could have gone at an onside kick, an interception for Christian Gonzalez, stopping Penix from scrambling on a first for on a third and long, you know. So there were a lot of opportunities on the board that Oregon didn't quite finish. Uh, Bennett Williams, if he could have been, you know, a step faster getting to that last ball on the game tying touchdown, like all those moments were out there that Oregon's defense didn't quite get one more stop. And still, Oregon was in a position to win the game. Um, so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk I, about a couple of plays that come down to literally like less than an inch is yeah. determining a large part of the outcome of, of this game. So this team's still good at full health because of the offense, right? I think this is mm-hmm. still a top 10 team. If we were to suit up for a Rose Bowl healthy against a team like, uh, you know, at best Michigan probably um i would think we had an okay shot and i think you know there's a good chance it's someone even worse than michigan in which i case if it was anyone else from the big 10 between besides michigan and ohio state i would definitely favor oregon there <laughs> oh 100%. <laughs> yeah um so in that regard like there's a lot of reason to be hopeful about the rest of the season but it hurts a lot right uh mm-hmm. and i don't think it's fair to ignore the negatives completely because this defense, I I don't I'm tired of the excuses from people because mm-hmm. there's just too much talent on the defense to have this type of performance. I mean, this is the most talented defense in the Pac-12. So mm-hmm. to be, I mean, James Krapia, I don't have the stats in front of me. He's put put stuff up on Twitter about like points per drive allowed by Power Five defenses, and Oregon is like among the worst uh with some certain caveats and such but like against i think opponents with winning records in the fbs uh, Mm -hmm. and oregon's among the worst like this defense does not scale up to good opponents well at all the strategy in this game was to allow them to get anything they want between the 20s and try to tighten up in the red zone the red zone defense was pretty good um but still i just i i don't know if I'm willing to accept that Oregon is incapable of getting stops between the 20s with how much talent is on this roster. I think we should be able to find a way. I mean, we saw it against UCLA, right? That's the most comparable opponent we have to this game. Very similar circumstances. You're at home in a a big game in a conference that, I mean, let's be honest, the Pac-12 is really, really good this year, but it's the top half is really, really good. And the bottom half is absolutely terrible you know we should be running over the the bottom feeders of the conference when we do run into someone you have to step up to it I mean you mentioned the defensive numbers we mention them every week in our previews and they don't keep getting any better (laughs) I mean right now the Ducks are 130th in the nation in total EPA Reed would you like to remind everyone how many teams there are in FBS 131 that's yes (laughs) that's correct yeah till next year and next year when they keep that right but yes as of right now this is a 2016 level bad defense it is objectively bad it is terrible um yeah lupoi does have to answer for this and honestly landing does too like something we kind of led with at the beginning of last episode was um landing and like (laughs) these coaches haven't proven anything yet yeah, sure, we beat UCLA in a solid game. Like, that's our big win so far this season. Yeah, we can blow out terrible teams. Like, 
give us a pat on the back. Sure, great. You know, Wazoo game, yeah, you showed fight, but you shouldn't be in that position in the first place against Wazoo. Um, It's, we'll see how these last two, hopefully three games go uh, before bowl season. But I don't know, man, especially if Bo's out, I I don't have a ton of confidence in this team to get any sort of stop, of course. But, I mean, then, you know, on the offensive end, like, you got to put it together, too. So, um, no. And that that's a good point. I think, yeah, more where I'm going is just that yeah, I think, like, I, I feel good about what this team has been. And I even after mm-hmm. this game, I feel like it's, you know, it is a top 10 team. And the fact that landing in his first year with the hire of Dillingham was able to build that is impressive. Um, but yeah, the road ahead potentially without Knicks is scary. It's totally scary. Uh, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, I have this later on in our outline about what constitutes, what constitutes a successful season at this point. Um, but I don't know. Just think about that to yourself as you're listening and then see how it stacks up uh, compared to what we think later in the episode. So let's talk about the game itself. Let's zoom in on this. Um, we got to talk about what the hell happened in this game. Um, this guy, CFB Numbers, I forget his real name, but he gets emails going to my inbox every week and I read them because uh, <laughs> he has these statistical models, advanced box scores they're called of how each game goes, um, and he selects a few. And this was, I think, the most important one he had from the week. Oregon's post-game win expectancy from this game, a stat, fancy little stat we like to use. It takes into account basically how you did on a per-play basis. Like, if this game was replayed, what are what are the odds of one team winning versus the other? Oregon was an 89% post-game win expectancy in this game, meaning if you play the same game with the same teams, it's pretty much exactly what we thought, if not more tipped in Oregon's favor from beforehand. Um, now, the the difference, what I think this fails to take into account as much as it probably should, uh, is another stat that's included in this advanced box score. Reed, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you. Like, can you guess which stat I'm gonna refer to here? Um, I'm honestly not sure. What where where are you going? Explosive play rate, man. Uh, Washington's explosive play rate from this game, 47.9%. That is absolutely insane. Meaning pretty much half of their plays went for over 20 yards in this game. (laughs) (laughs) That is atrocious. Yards per play, over 10 yards per play for their offense. Their EPA per pass, like expected points added per pass, is pretty much one. It's .96. Meaning... Every time Michael Penix threw the ball, it was equivalent to about one point for Washington. Not per completion, not per down or whatever, per pass. Every time he dropped back to pass, he was adding a point to Washington's score. That's a very, very, very bad defense. Um, yeah, like like Numbers mentions, uh, again, sorry, I forget his name, but I'll refer to him as Numbers. Uh, <laughs> Oregon came in ranked 123rd in the country in pass EPA allowed on defense. That's, that's absolutely terrible. Um, and there's really no way to sugarcoat that, that stat. Oregon won in the trenches. Um, they, <laughs> Washington, you know, couldn't really stop our run game. We'll talk about that big, long drive later on. On the battle in offensive line yards, overall success rate, Oregon still won on a per-play basis. Mm-hmm. 
It was just the explosive plays. <coughs> Excuse me. That really made the difference in this game. So, um, if unless there's anything else you want to pick out of that advanced box score, should we move to the moments in this game? Yeah, I think the one thing is just that, I mean, the contrast between their EPA per pass and EPA per rush, it's... I guess nine times as much, uh, nine (laughs) times as effective passing than they were running. They ran, I think, just well enough to keep Oregon's defense honest uh, and maybe better than I expected them to be able to run. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, that said, like, it was the passing game, make no mistake about it, that won Washington this game. And their rushes were mostly supplementary and that when they were effective it mostly happened in the first half uh, and they moved away from it pretty pretty much in the second half because they were getting stuffed more often than not the last stat i want to mention in this game is uh total plays now this doesn't usually mean anything unless there's a big discrepancy and there was a big discrepancy in this game oregon ran 91 offensive plays and only scored 34 points. That's that's not... Your offense, plain and simple, like on paper, should be more efficient than that. We know this offense is better than that. And again, we'll talk about the moments as to why that was the case, but Washington only ran 65 wow. from scrimmage versus 91. Like, you would definitely expect the team with 91 and the most efficient offense in the country to be scoring more. So let's talk about the key plays um, that helped and hurt uh, both of those theses, I guess. Um, you put these two at the top, so let's start it off there. We're going to try to avoid recapping every single drive like we used to do, but there were a lot of very, very important moments in this game, so go for it. Lead it off. Yeah, I think always an opportunity to get a stop when a team's coming to your place when you're at home is in that first drive if you can rattle them and get them off schedule based on the crowd noise early. Uh, and Oregon was able to get in that position third and 14, uh, with Washington still in its own territory. They only rushed four. Mace Funa was a free rusher off the edge and, uh, Penix was able to get by him and scramble for the magic number 15 yards to barely get the first down. That was a really, I mean, that was not a spot that, um, it, it you know it didn't win the game for Washington necessarily, but I mean as, yeah it's the first series of the game yeah. right exactly it's the first series of the game. But that said, I think if you just get a stop on that first series, it changes so much of the dynamic of how this game goes. Um, because if Oregon's able to get the ball and you know punch back, all of a sudden I think there's a lot more possessions in this first half. Uh, and that was something that was surprising, right? You know, I thought this game would be played at a very fast pace. It ended up being that in the second half, but in the first half, Washington was actually able to shorten this game a lot because they were just completing a lot of their passes. The clock only stops when it's not a completion, right? Uh, if you're just completing short passes, you know, for eight or nine yards, it's the same thing as when Oregon runs the ball for eight or nine yards uh the clock moves the exact same way so uh they were able to gain some time of possession there 
in a way that I think they would not have been able to if Oregon gets a stop early on there, if Mason is able to bring down Penix, uh, get the ball back, take the early lead with the knowledge that they get the ball back at half and speed Washington up into some mistakes. So that was a moment that, you know, I said that was a chance for Oregon to put Washington at a very big disadvantage early in the game. And they weren't able to do that. And because of that, it led to this thing being more and more of a fight throughout. Exactly. And I would also point to another third and long four plays later on that same first drive. It's third and 10. And mind you, it's at the Oregon 24, so they can kick a field goal at that point. But Rome, 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 Odunze, I don't know. Uh, Odunze gets 11. Um, it was just it just seemed like they got whatever they wanted whenever they really really needed it didn't they um and that sets up a a 13 yard touchdown run so like you said a couple opportunities to get off the field there um the second one is a penalty now i mean we'll obviously talk about some penalties or non-penalties that happen in crunch time in this game but overall i mean Washington had five penalties. All of them were just five yarders. Oregon had seven penalties that netted 51 yards. Um, so you lose that battle. It's a, you know, one of those check marks you look at if you're looking for an upset. Um, and I mean, there could have been a couple on, on either end given or subtracted, but uh, you singled out one in particular that I didn't find at first. Yeah, this was huge. This was on Oregon's first series. Uh, it's, you know, first and 10 out of the 22. Oregon is rolling. Just hit a 20-yard pass to Troy Franken. Line up, 17-yard rush from Noah Whittington. Gets you to the UW 5. You're right on the, you know, right about to score. And the flag comes out. Uh, I think it was Marcus Harper, hands to the face, 15-yard penalty. Puts you back to a first and 25. I, I mean, that's hard even for as good as this offense has been. First and 25 is mm-hmm. putting yourself in a rough position. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just putting yourself in the position where you are almost certainly going to be in a third and long. Uh, and Oregon, you know, was able to get back 12 yards, get to a third and 13. It's doable, but you're putting in a, yourself in a position that you just don't need to be in and that we didn't forecast this Oregon offense having to be in very often all night because of their advantage running the ball. Uh, that bared out throughout the rest of the game, but when you put yourself in first and 25, you're just handcuffing your offense uh, and not allowing it to do to take advantage of its you know biggest matchup. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. that was huge i mean that literally i think that penalty took points off the board and it's also a penalty that i don't think you know caused the 17 yard run by any stretch you didn't need to do that um so mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's oregon shooting itself in the foot uh taking essentially four points off the board then washington did it on their next drive uh chance to go up 14 to 3 on the road like you <laughs> If you're, the, if you're the Huskies, almost called them the Cougars, you take that any day of the week, right? Um, they're at fourth and one. I believe they lined up to go for it, if I remember they, No, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't? Okay, it was just yeah. on the field goal. Well, even so. Okay, fourth and one, false start, you know, make the field goal. The um, decision. That's, an opp- that's not missed opportunity. Yeah, and just the decision to go for that field goal was really interesting, I thought. I mean, I was happy when it was a fourth and one. Even yeah. with how good Oregon's short, uh, you know, short run defense is, I just think 
with how many points I expect there to be in this game, I did not understand why you're not going for fourth and ones within your opponent's 10-yard line. I thought that was a strange decision from DeBoer. Yeah, ball was on the nine-yard line, um, or seven-yard line even. It's just an odd decision. Um, Anyways, uh, next moment I want to talk about in this one um, is obviously Ducks get the ball back. They're looking to tie the game, and there's trouble with the snap for the first of really two times in this game. And honestly, twice this season, I can't really remember instances of this happening throughout the season uh, like it did last year. I don't know. Maybe I'm just blending seasons together in my head um, or, or separating them falsely. Mm-hmm. But uh, Nick's fumbles the snap at the one yard. I mean, they're at the three, but it, it fumbles on the one yard line and Washington recovers backbreaking um and that was kind of the first i don't know about you watching at home but for me and in the stadium it kind of felt like okay like we've shot ourselves in the foot once already now this on the one yard line like this is some real cursed stuff that's going on like are we really serious about winning this game if we're going to do stuff like that i wasn't i wasn't so sure i was getting kind of nervous well sometimes i play this game of like okay the spread was 12 You know, every time you Mm -hmm. shoot yourself in the foot and leave points on the board, let's just take that off the spread kind of thing, you know, Mm. and it's and it turns into, okay, well, Oregon left four on the spread, you know, four on the board the first time and they just left seven on the board here. So all of a sudden it shifts from a 12 point spread to a one point spread. I like the way you think. um, And obviously, you know, that's not perfectly applicable, but it kind of feels like that. It's like, okay, well, these are the mistakes we just made that. Yeah, you know, that margin of error was baked into it, but we're pretty much putting ourselves in a toss-up by shooting ourselves in the foot twice there. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after that, I mean, Otson was still into it, make no mistake. It was still very loud. Washington gets a false start from their own one-yard line, and, um, th- and they thank, go three and out. Thank God that that ball was recovered on the one and not in the end zone yeah. for a touchback because I honestly, <laughs> you know, Washington has a great chance or a much, much better chance of scoring there. If it's recovered on, if it's a touchback or even if they have, you know, from the 10 to work with or something versus from their own one, I think was a situation where Oregon was able to lean on their advantage uh, in the run defense and get out of there. And I mean, even though you force a punt here and, get great field position out of it like a safety would have been absolutely massive i mean cam davis got stuffed on that first play after the false start washington still gets nine yards and again chooses not to go for it on fourth and one i mean this one you're at your own 10 yard line so i I get that one a little bit more but yeah um they punt it deep uh ducks get the ball back at midfield and now it's like this is where the shootout really kind of starts in my head um Mm -hmm. The Ducks run, they get the ball back, and they run the ball eight straight times uh, to get a touchdown <laughs> that caps off with, with Bo Nix uh, before that onside kick. It seems kind of, it. I was kind of having deja vu at this moment because um, I was thinking back to the game in Seattle in 20, what was that, 2019 uh, with Herbert where mm-hmm. the Ducks really kind of got themselves back in that game by just running it down Washington's throat. Um, yeah, even Cyrus. that was in the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, and this this is in the first half in this game. Like, I felt real good about this. Like, okay, if we can run it like this for the whole game, we're gonna be fine. Like, it'll open it up for the pass. 
and as as we all know like that was all correct again this is a, this is a very demonstrative like game for how both of these teams played um and, know, and maybe we're just too good at this i'm not sure yeah i mean just to be cl- like oregon will go on to have a drive at the end of the half but then score three straight touchdowns pretty much with ease and set up for that you know final drive with four minutes left where they're in within the 15 yard line so like from this point on there's a little bit of a difficulty on on that final drive before the half but Oregon's offense is rolling as this drive would suggest for the rest of the night basically until things get hairy at the end based on you know situations and a few things that we'll get to yeah, and I mean, even on that last drive of the half, like, kind of just ran out of time. It's not really a function of not being able to to do what you need mm-hmm. to. Um, do you want to talk about the onside kick? I, I mean, insofar as I just, um, you can, I, picking apart How about like, the execution yes or no? of it, you can do, but <laughs> I'm fine with kicking it. Yeah, I'm fine with doing an onside kick. I'm happy with, I think it reads the game well, just like the UCLA game. Like this was a high scoring game. Stealing a possession was ultimately all we needed to do one way or another. It was worth the risk. It didn't pay off, uh, but doesn't really change it. And it actually gives Oregon an opportunity for a last possession and a half with more time left. And on top of that, because of the defense you're playing, uh, in which you're just basically saying to Washington, yeah, you can just dink and dunk your way to the red zone anyways with very little resistance. Uh, like, well, we might as well just give them the ball at the 40. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I agree. I, like, live and die by the sword. Um, yeah. If this, this is our identity as a team now, you know, you can't love it against UCLA and then hate it when it doesn't work in the exact same spot. So... Again, credit to the Huskies. They were prepared for it. Um, and they, <laughs> thankfully, I mean, so on that next drive, though, it's, it's funny. I think that's the one where McMillan just snatches the ball out of mm-hmm. Gonzo's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, the first play I, right after it. Yeah, you had a better look at this on TV than I did. I was pour- scouring over it today on my laptop trying to figure out who actually caught the ball. Like, what was your initial reaction to this play? <laughs> so I think what happened is in looking at the replay, I mean, my initial reaction was, damn it, like Gonzo really almost had him. And that would have been a massive uh, turning point if he gets that interception. And it's another yeah. it's another point in this game where it's like, oh, if Oregon had won that one thing, they probably win the game. Um, but mm-hmm. they put themselves in a position by not doing that over and over again where like they kept passing the buck to having to do that one more time and it got scarier than it had to be uh what really happened i think is that the ball is is in gonzo's possession insofar as it's closest to his chest and he technically had two points of contact on the ball but i think what made the difference is if you look at gonzo's hands on the replay uh, he's like his knuckles are in so he doesn't have like a a full open hand on the ball to like mm. possess and and like control it uh, and I think that's what changes as they're in air is Gonzo kind of wins the fight and tugs it towards his body but McMillan's ultimately able to gain control because he actually has a open hand on the ball 
that he can kind of pull with and hat, you know, has more control with basically. Yeah. I mean, all I know is you heard our reaction in the stadium. Like we thought it was an interception straight yeah. away. Um, yeah. The fact there was no review, the fact that there, I mean, I don't expect a challenge in that situation or anything like that, but. Uh, I, and I, I don't, don't think it was the wrong call to be clear, but it was very close to, to Gonzo being able to come away with it. Yeah, one of the many instances of the, the game of inches uh, stereotype applying again. UW turns that into three points. Ducks still win the middle eight, mind you. Even with um, even with a, a failed onside kick, the Ducks still win the middle eight. Um, it ends up being seven to three because uh, they come out of halftime and get the Mac bomb, which was lovely to see. We've been talking about how we, we need to see him get more touches in general. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what you want to see. Uh, and from there, I mean, the third quarter was an absolute shootout. What was it, like 35 points total in the third quarter between these two teams? Um, it was just a crazy, crazy quarter, all things said and done. Yeah, 14 to 21, uh, 500, com- almost 500 combined yards of offense in this quarter alone. Yeah. Uh, which is, Oregon averaged 11.4 yards per carry in the third quarter. <laughs> Again, like this is all absolutely insane. Like over 100 rush yards for the Ducks. Uh, UW had 200 pass yards in the third quarter alone. It was basically just haymakers back and forth. And it was really, really fun to watch, but damn, was it nerve wracking. Um, I, I felt I, like, you know, Dante Thornton, that was such a big play from him. It's probably the first time that he's really come up with one of those plays in like a highly competitive game. Yes. Uh, you know, he had some in the Alamo Bowl, but that was a glorified scrimmage in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, he had some in the FCS game last year. Exactly. But this was, I mean, this is as big of a moment as it gets in this Oregon season. And I think that that catch from Thornton, I felt like really loosened up the ducks and it like, you know, Washington had come out with this energy that they were the underdog had nothing to lose. And it felt like Oregon on the other side was playing a little tighter. Um, And once Mm -hmm. Dante was able to, you know, break the coverage, get that deep bomb, it just seemed like, okay, this offense is settling in. They're having, you know, having some fun again and just are like ready to compete. Uh, and I think we saw that throughout the rest of the quarter. Uh, and it's kind of a nice spot in that third quarter. I think like both teams had settled into the game, but the fourth quarter and like the end of the clock isn't looming to the point that it's like, okay, this might be our last time touching the ball. I think it was the moment when both teams thought maybe we can get some separation or at least Oregon probably thought maybe we can get some separation if we can just outscore these guys in you know whatever mm-hmm. five or six possessions there are in this quarter and Washington probably felt maybe or however they they probably should have felt like hopefully we can keep pace in this time because this is where this game could get stretched out if we do have a turnover and the thing is um it wasn't like one team was threatening to pull away necessarily until after like the the bossa interception right mm-hmm. um both each of these long touchdowns, like the four long touchdowns we had in a row, whatever it was, um, they were all uh, back and forth for lead changes. Um, like one team seemed to almost have control of the game, but nobody really had control. It seemed like until Bossa gets that pick on the one yard line. Um, that was the first play of the fourth quarter, I believe. 
uh maybe the second one yeah it and, came and, after uh yeah well i'm just going through these drives interestingly through all those drives right the first three for each team of the second half neither mm-hmm. no one faced a third down longer than five yards like both <laughs> these teams are just rolling down the field oh we're just flying yeah just going over the top <laughs> right um I mean, yeah, we talked after that Mac touchdown. I believe it was two plays from scrimmage until mm-hmm. UW were in the end zone again. Um, that's just how it was in this third quarter. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, and you had Flo like popping Penix in the face for 15 yards on the kickoff, and like it still didn't even matter really. Um, oh my god! I don't know. Uh, like we that said, was... the defense did. It just yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? That was just horrible. I mean, that was a, it was a second and 11 that like you talk about, there hadn't been a longer than third and five the whole time. And, uh, flow just, that was a really bad late hit. Like he, what yeah, he you're supposed, yeah. And he like did the full arm extension and everything, you know, you're supposed to like come hot, but then you like back off at the last second. So you really give him a hit, but like, you don't make it look like it and flow like, started running faster and then did the full army extension. So there's just no way they weren't going to call it. And really, I mean, even though like, yeah, the duck secondary wasn't holding up well, anytime you're taking that deep of a shot, like there's obviously a chance for you to overshoot a guy. And um, yeah, I mean, fl- there's just no need. Like if that had not, if that had been an incomplete pass flow, just single handedly you know, gives up a chance at a third and 11. So that was, that was just yeah. not good at all. <laughs> uh, UW actually uses that penalty to their advantage. They pin the ducks back to like the 10 yard line. Um, and then Bucky Irving has two runs for like 30 yards. <laughs> to make that not I, matter. I mean, that's what this game was. If you weren't getting the ball, yeah. like within your own one yard line, field position didn't matter because the Ducks were just going to like string Bucky Irving 10 yard runs, and UW was just going to string Jalen McMillan like 10 yard slants and to get their <laughs> way down the field until or unless they just hit a deep shot over the their heads to like Polk for Washington or Thornton or Franklin for Oregon. Exactly, man. And I mean, after the Ducks score to make it 31-27, Washington is stuck with the ball on their own one-yard line. And like you're saying, they still drove 98 yards. It just didn't matter. Um, The Ducks could not stop them at all. And it's almost like Washington got too close to the end zone. Like they couldn't run. I mean, honestly, this makes a difference when you have such a prolific passing offense. Couldn't run their full routes. Couldn't have their full patterns. Like you just have to get a little Mm -hmm. more creative when the Mm -hmm. field is shortened. Um, And the Ducks did what they needed to do. They they stretch Penix out. uh, Get a tipped pass and pick it off at the one yard line. Like that's that's all you need to do. Um, At this point. How how confident were you in a win? Because that really felt like the moment that could shift this entire game. I mean, it was one stop. Yeah. And at this point, one yeah. stop felt like the entire world. That's the yeah, absolutely. That's the stop we'd been waiting for all game. Huge I mean I do like feel the need to give a ton of credit to Sewell and Bassa for in a you know weird scenario. Uh I don't know if it was entirely a forced error. 
but it was an opportunity that both those guys capitalized on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Noah getting the tip in the air and Bassa diving and having the awareness to get that ball. Like, stealing that possession in an alternate history where the final three plays of Oregon's next drive go differently uh, or go, <laughs> like, literally how they had gone the entire night to that point, it felt like, uh, mm-hmm. or at least the entire last two quarters, we are crowning Bassa and Sewell, like, for saving the Oregon season, for, you know, propelling yeah. Oregon to a win with that one play. So they still, it's huge. You can't change, you know, how important that was and how much it shifted the game just based on, um, just based yeah, on the final outcome. But I, I do think how confident I felt, uh, pretty confident. I was just, I was like standing up. I was just watching from home, standing up, pacing around, like just keep rattling off five plus yard runs, you know? And I, yeah, yeah. I was doing that for 20 minutes as Oregon rolled down the <laughs> field. It felt like, <laughs> Yeah, 10 minutes of game time probably equated to, like, it felt like a few hours of, of real time. But yeah. um, just moving the ball. I mean, the Ducks get the ball with uh, approximately, let's see, the entire fourth quarter ahead of them. Yeah, only, like, 30 seconds off the clock in the third mm-hmm. quarter. Or, sorry, fourth quarter. By the time they're kicking this field goal at the end of the drive, there's four minutes left. <laughs> they it's literally crazy. owned the fourth quarter. Um, and there was nothing UW could do to try to stop it. And I think that drive right there is what is, you know, that's the large part of these, you know, post-game win numbers or like success rate numbers that we were seeing. Um, because Oregon said exactly what they were going to do and UW just couldn't stop it. And it helps when you've already had a couple deep shots to, you know, make them weary of that, make them aware mm-hmm. of a play-action possibility. Um, but let's talk about the end of this drive because that's what ended up mattering, un- unfortunately. Um, the bad snap on second and five from the like 20-yard line, 10-yard line. I can't remember what it was. I think it was 10-yard line. Uh, um, te- yeah, the 10-yard line on that second and five, yeah. Yeah, it was right after a third down conversion. Like you get a five-yard run. All right, you're still in business. Like just punch it in. We've seen Oregon's red zone offense be Solid for most of the season. I mean, outside of a couple games where they struggled on a couple drives, like, they've been really, really good. Uh, Instead, that one bad snap kind of just ruins the momentum just a little bit. Like, just puts them off kilter the tiniest bit. That's all it takes. Next play, uh, bow to the left, gets stopped a couple yards short. Uh, Kind of a questionable tackle. I'm not really going to posture for targeting here. I think by the letter of the law it might be, but I mean he didn't even hit his head; he hit his thigh. But still, like mm-hmm. uh, for Cook's own safety, that that might right. probably should be targeting. Um, either way, I mean, make no mistake; like Oregon still, we shot ourselves in the foot this game. Um, and now at fourth and three from the nine yard line, this is one of the big. Landing said after the game, he questioned a lot of decisions he made. I'm sure this was one of them. Would you play this differently? Are you kicking the field goal to go up seven, or are you scoring a touchdown to try and ice the game? I just, it's really tough because, I mean, with Ty not out there, uh, or I mean, with Bo not out there, with Ty probably being the one who would have to take that fourth down, I think that changes it based on the confidence that we've seen the staff have in him or lack thereof. Uh, So I was okay with the kick. Uh, in the moment 
but I don't know. I was nervous. Fourth and three was just a hard thing. If it was two or less, I would go so quickly. But three is feels a little different. You know, three, like you really need a successful run. One or two, you can just kind of fall forward um, and get it. And so that changed it for me. And not having Bo out there, I think not only like for what Bo literally can do in terms of, you know, how he can run or his ability to throw, Uh, or even in like how accurately he executes a read option. But I think also in his checks going into a play has been a huge story of this Mm -hmm. season that Dilly's talked about putting a lot of keys to the offense in Bo's hands and allowing him to get into or out of certain looks based on what he's seeing on the field. And I'm very sure that we don't have that same confidence in Ty um, to execute those things. And in a big fourth and three situation, that's crucial, obviously. Um, yeah. I mean, I yeah, know. the other thing we've been talking about with Ty, though, is that even when he's not throwing the ball, even when stuff isn't, even when he goes in and stuff goes wrong and it's still not necessarily his fault, the offense in general, like you're saying, just gets less confident when he's in the game. I mean, yeah. that's, I think, if anything, that's a testament to how good Bo has been this year. I mean, he should still be a legit Heisman candidate. Um, as should Michael Penix, by the way. I mean, I think they're both phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've gone back and forth on this one more than any of these other decisions, like the onside kick or the later fourth down. I don't know. Like, you just need three yards. Can you not put in the jumbo package and move some people to get three yards to ice the game? Like, I think in the end, I'm okay with the field goal. Like, I think that's the right decision. But I, mean, I just, don't know, that one certainly kept lighting up at night. Just to recap, like, the big picture of... Because I think those first two those first two UW drives of the second half, like, felt brutal. And even the, you know, start of the drive that ended in the Penix interception on the one, we're like, they're really moving the ball now. They figured us out. But before that, in, this, in the first half, I mean, Oregon forces... Uh, two field goals and a punt right before that. So yeah, the D de- there was reason to think maybe there's a world this defense can find a stop uh, and we can just get into the drive right then. I mean, Oregon was in a, in a third and seven, got him to third and seven, like, yeah. And Penix just uh, threw uh, one of the best throws this conference has seen all year. I think. Um, yeah. And that strike to Taj Davis right past Bennett Williams' arms. It's a great throw. Uh, that's all, all I can say about it, really. Yep. Uh, me too. <laughs> um, uh, that one was backbreaking. I mean, in the same way that uh, that fumble on the one yard line just gave you that empty, pitted feeling in your stomach like, oh man, this is really, really losable now. That moment for me, it was like, oh. This thing is actually really, really losable right now. Um, mm. it, it increased felt- Washington's win probability percentage by 30 points, or not 30, 30 percentage points. So that bef- at that pass at third and seven, they had a 7% chance to win the game. After it, I mean, they're still giving the ball back to Oregon's offense. I don't think this win percentage thing factors in uh, Oregon's backup quarterback being in the game right. either. Um and that's another thing we have to consider, just like the last fourth down, with this next fourth down decision. Oregon gets the ball back, three runs in a row of three yards. 
And one tiny thing I have to point out, I'm so sick of this. Uh, the, I think it's the ESPN, um, you know, like game log that everybody uses for all these advanced stats. It has the third run as a Christian Gonzalez run for three yards. I know it doesn't matter. I know nobody cares. But for the love of God, for the worldwide leader in sports to get this much credit, this happens every week with something. Just get it right, yeah. man. Even in the official box scores that go out, it says Christian Gonzalez had a three-yard run in this game. So, um, fourth and one, 34-yard line, Oregon's own 34-yard line. I mean, yay or nay. I, I I think I'm yay on this. I think you go for it, but I don't know why you don't just do something different. Like, let Ty sneak it. We know he can probably do that much, right? Our offensive yeah. line is good enough to get it that much, is it not? Yeah, um, or, what, are your, or, what are your thoughts on this play? Or let Bo, call timeout and get Bo back in the game. I mean, it was crucial, right? I think if you get that with 126, you're really uh, – The game is know, over. Well, you, you got to execute a few more first downs. So based on how the O-line's blocking, True. probably is over. Um, Overtime at worst, and, I guess. And, yeah, I and, and exactly. UW's not seeing the ball again in the end of the half based on the timing there. Big part of this is, is – um, Forsyth going out too like his shoulder started hurting on that big long drive he'd been dealing it with it for a little bit before that I think uh starts flaring up I, maybe that had something to do with the snap because it was his right shoulder right arm um that went bad before and then he's not in on this final sequence I don't think uh, I'm pretty sure JPJ is in as mm. the starting center um which is interesting. I mean, in some ways, those exchanges between JPJ and uh, and Ty have more reps behind them because those are the twos. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe that you know that's not necessarily the worst thing. But uh, I'll, I'll definitely roll with Forsyth and all his experience in that big of a spot. So it, it was a big loss to not have him. And I mean, we'll see if he can go this week as well. Uh, mind you, the play before, I find it funny that no one's really talking about this part of it. I mean, Bucky on this three-yard run is short by a fingernail, maybe. Like, I <laughs> I don't know if it's worth reviewing, but Jesus Christ, this was a close one um, yeah, on that third down run. It's silly, but, you know, because, I mean, you know, this isn't the reason Oregon lost the game or anything, but probably, you know... 50% of the time, the refs just would spot the ball as a first down and wave it forward or whatever, you know, just kind mm. of like off by a couple inches on their spot and just wave it. That happens so much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, you had a better look on TV than I did in the stadium. I, I was too nervous to like cheer or not either way, <laughs> even though I, I think he had the first down, but whatever. Uh, the slip. I don't, I mean, you can't really say much about that, right? It's just a slip. Um, and that's when everything really goes, oh, no. Like, you go from, oh, crap, like, that's getting close on some of these big plays and on that, uh, the fumble earlier in the game. But I remember the slip being like, I just turned to my friend with me in the stands. And I was like, oh, this is bad, bad. Like, we just went from, oh, crap, this could go to overtime to, oh, crap, I hope this goes to overtime. Um, cause giving the ball up on your own 30 yard line is never how you want to play it. Um, you know, the rest from there, UW kicks the field goal. Bo comes back in for the final drive, couple drops, couple missed calls or 
overexcited calls. Again, you, you can't really blame it on your. You can't really blame this one on the on the refs. Uh, Oregon had every chance they needed to to win this game multiple times, uh, and they made the mistakes themselves. But man, it would have been nice to see like that late hit out of bounds against Bucky get called or illegal touching not get called. I don't know. When you see this illegal touching call, was it like a screaming at the TV, how are you calling that? Or was it like a, oh, Jesus, like we really just lost this game on that? It was, it was a, oh, Jesus, definitely. I, I was deflated <laughs> after that fourth and one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's That was the type of thing where like on that slip, uh, you know, face just goes white. It's like the vibes oh, were bad. Oh God, <laughs> this is really what's happening. Um, so not that I had fully conceded the game necessarily, but I'm not as amped up as I was before that. Definitely, like I'm just like, oh my God, you know, it, Oregon had survived a fourth and fourteen barely, um, and then I he gotten away with a fake injury because yeah. let's just call it like it is. I mean, <laughs> um, right. Chris Hudson. I mean, I I appreciate the competitiveness. I I think you will too. Yeah, I don't. I'm play not against my... you in certain things, like <laughs> you do what you need to do to win the game, right? Yeah. Um. But I thought that was kind of a crazy call on the on the final illegal touching. Now that said, I get from the rest perspective. You know, it it all happened so fast, and they're seeing a guy go on the sideline. Their eyes are going to go down to the feet. They see it cross the white line. They throw a flag. You can't review the contact afterwards. The contact's pretty minimal. But at the same time, usually when they see someone make contact with you, that you know, and it's that close, and you're immediately back in bounds, uh, they will let it play because that's not what the spirit of the rule is. You know, this isn't yeah. a rule about like um, how it you know, having your toe on the line gives you an unfair advantage. It's like the spirit of it is you can't, you know, use all of that extra field length by yourself to run a route, yeah. a route <laughs> you know, and Troy was not doing that. He, his route did not go out of bounds except for a nudge from, you know, and the positioning and a slight nudge from the defender to get right around him. And he was right back in bounds. So I don't think it should have been called, but at that point, so much had gone wrong. Uh, and that was such a miracle to get in that position. If Oregon had that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going on Twitter to complain about it or anything. Yeah. I mean, my biggest problem with it is just, I mean, you talk about spirit of the rule. How about spirit of the game? Like, I'm sure Washington doesn't want to win on something like that. I think they would much rather like have a meaningful pass breakup on a Hail Mary or like a missed field goal. Or I felt the same way about like the Utah USC game earlier this year. I mean, these have now been the two biggest games in the conference of the season. Both of them just have borderline, like maybe not even incompetent, but just referees who don't understand the moment that they're in uh, and taking the game into their own hands when you can easily just let it play out on the field. Um, to the same result, more than likely. So, either way, uh, disappointing to say the least. Would have had the ball at the 23-yard line, and that's a 40-yard field goal, um, which I is in Cam's range. I'm confident in him making that. Uh, whatever, man. Uh, you, the thing I've written down here is that you win and die by being aggressive. That's the identity landing is established this season, and uh, 
I'm I'm not mad that we played the game that way. I'm glad we went down swinging instead of just getting humbled like we did last season in these losses. So, um, widespread reaction that I saw from the fan base. I mean, I've distanced myself from a lot of the craziness that went on last year uh, that I see around Twitter and you know message boards and lo- the like. But I mean, I, I'm so I'm curious to see what you thought about this, like. In walking out the stadium and in talking to people afterwards, it honestly seemed like kind of measured and it seemed like people fully understood not just what this loss meant, but I didn't see a lot of complaining, honestly. I didn't see a lot of like, oh, we got screwed or we got hosed or anything like that. What about you? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's fully indicative of the fan base as a whole, but I think that of course. Uh, I've, I've filtered you know, the people I talk to about it. Uh, to the point that, yeah, I think it was measured uh, in in our circles in general. Um, yeah, I it you sucks. know it it, it sucks. <laughs> I think Oregon offensively and and you know in terms of the players on the field, I think fought uh, and did not get embarrassed. Uh, some things didn't break Oregon's way, um, but you know I keep going back to that debut against Georgia and how thoroughly Oregon was dominated in that game and, you know, handing the keys over to the program, to a new coach. And now kind of the journey that we've been on over the last 10 weeks since that point. Um, and I think that's been positive overall. I think the program's still in a good direction in general. Uh, but now, so, so in terms of faith in landing, um, you know, excitement for the rest of his time at Oregon. Uh, I very high on both those grades. Oh yeah, but, hasn't changed for me. Right, but there are some specific things that need to be worked on. I mean, one, who's going to play at quarterback the rest of the year? Two, who calls defensive plays going forward? Uh, obviously, you're not making a change right now, but like that needs to be looked at and. From a roster perspective, we need people who can rush the passer. That has not been solved at all mm-hmm. in KT's departure. We kind of thought, oh, we can do this by committee. Lanning created so much pressure at Georgia against Pac-12 O-lines. With we wanted Ohio or- State without him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, that has not worked out at all this year. So Oregon needs to be able to find some guys that can get pressure, maybe through the transfer portal, and secondary still – uh, a work in progress, right? Uh, and a potential <laughs> place to go in the portal uh, or through development this off season. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, I like you mentioned the. I like that you referenced the Georgia game because I was actually going through my phone a couple of days ago, um, and I found all the old pressers from that game. And the first thing Landing said when he sat down in that press conference was, uh, you know, he was obviously very like pissed off about it he was smiling but he was very nervous about being in his first presser after getting grilled um (laughs) and he said look all of our uh all of our preseason goals are still ahead of us and i think he did mean that in earnest because i think he knew i think the whole staff knew what was going to happen in that first game maybe not to that degree but you can never go into that game expecting to win it um of course you're never going to say that publicly but I mean, the fact that he said publicly all our goals are ahead of us, I think that still applies right here. Um, we've talked about pretty much all year on this podcast uh, that this defense is not good enough to win a playoff game or compete in the playoff or compete for a national title. Compete for a national title. Um, 
so in, you know, I'm obviously not happy that we lost this game, but just like we said last year after the Utah game, like, okay, now we can take a deep breath and evaluate like how we're going to win this conference and hang on for the ride of how we're going to win the rest of these football games. Um, I feel very similar to how we did after that Wazoo game. Like, okay, I don't think this is a team that's going to run the table. Uh, I don't really care about getting to the playoff. Obviously now that's not even a possibility. I'm just excited for hopefully some entertaining wins for the rest of this season. And we certainly have a couple opportunities for those. So like you said, I mean, defense is obviously a glaring issue. I'm not that worried about the offense. If, you know, Bo permitting, uh, we'll talk about that in our Utah preview in a couple minutes here. But um, overall, I asked this question earlier in the pod, like what constitutes success for landing in, in year one? Uh, a lot of programs talk about a year zero where you get a you get kind of a grace period to start rebuilding things. Doesn't really apply when you have a, a top ten recruiting class. Like I don't know what it, you'd know better than I about our talent composite. Like top fifteen talent at the very least, I think still um, in the country. I think a conference title appearance or bust is, is a success, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can expect this team to run the table the rest of the way uh, and beat whoever it is in the title game. But we'll talk about, you know, there's a couple scenarios where Oregon can still drop one of these games against Utah and OSU and still be in the conference title game. Are we on the same page there? Like, is that what constitutes a success for you? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Uh, I mean, I think if or- if we get dealt a tough hand and, bows out for the year i'm not gonna you know go bring the pitch pitchforks to landing's offense landing's (laughs) office if we're not able to beat utah you know like yeah that's gonna be a tough game if that's the case Um, oregon state for that matter (laughs) yeah right so that changes things a lot uh i think nonetheless like credit to landing that he had oregon on path for you know uh, nine or 10 win season. I mean, you look at it now, like Oregon's won a ton of games they should, and they've lost the game versus a really good team. And they split two games that they put themselves in toss ups with, which are the Washington state and Washington game and post game win expectancy suggests they should have won both of those. Um, anyways, yeah, going forward, get to the back to title game, give ourselves a shot there. I absolutely have faith in this team to compete in that environment if they're healthy uh, against any of these other teams. I th- I still think this is, when healthy, the best team in the conference. I I still do believe that. Um, oh, I believe so too, yeah. This Utah game's a big one. Uh, and, I mean, just look at the scenarios, right? So if Oregon wins out, they're in. If Oregon wins and UCLA wins this weekend, Oregon's also in, I think. Mm-hmm. Um even with a loss to Oregon State, and you know we can cover. I think, or Oregon could lose. UCLA could win this weekend, and Oregon could win the Beaver game, and Oregon would also be, be in guaranteed. That case. In. Yeah, yeah, be guaranteed in exactly. So yeah, I mean, thanks for Doug Scott uh, for putting this together. I'm sure it took hours and hours to figure out, uh, but he's got a chart on Twitter that you should go look at. It's going to be my guide for a while. These tiebreakers are rough, man. Like, I've done it before with, like, basketball in the NBA, but this stuff is real hairy. Like, 
Um, if Oregon loses this game to Utah, and if USC wins, it there are, I don't think there's any way Oregon can get in at that point. Yeah, no, we're we're done. Um, yeah. So be rooting for UCLA in that game. Obviously, it'll kick off a couple hours before the Oregon game. Uh, so maybe we'll have a final by halftime. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Probably. Um, but we'll, we'll, I'm sure everyone in Autzen will be frantically checking their phones, uh, including both of us, to see how that game plays out. So um, bottom line is, you know, beat Utah. And let's let's get into this Utah game now. We'll try to do kind of a faster preview because <laughs> we've already gone over an hour talking about this Utah game. Um, do you feel... Now, okay, maybe we should split this into two parts, like with and without Bo. With Bo, I'm more confident that we can win this game than the UW yeah. game, just based on strengths and weaknesses of, of both teams. Uh, you agree? Yeah, looking um, back on it, right? I mean, uh, looking back on it, that UW, UW passing game matchup was very – we should have been even more worried about than we were, and we were pretty worried about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Cam Rising is good, but he's not as great as he was last year, and he certainly doesn't have the weapons that he had last year. Um, obviously, Keithy's out. Britton Covey is uh, no, he's not, he graduated or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're a former walk on Valet is their biggest like wide receiver threat. Um, so I'm not as worried about getting gashed in pass defense. I will say, I'm looking at Stats of Wars uh, preview page. Utah's still the 34th best pass offense in the nation by EPA. Um, that's, that's a little bit concerning for me. They have the 21st best offense in the country, too. And again, Oregon's defense just overall is not not up for it um, in general. So, I mean, is that still a concern for you? Like, I don't think Utah's going to hit a long bomb on us, but, I mean, especially if we don't have both, this could really be looking like a tough game. Yeah, right. So, I mean, if I, I think if we have Bo, I still think that this offense is in every position to roll through these games and um, score 35 on Utah, you know, score 35 to 40. If, if you're really executing well to, you know, in the 40s, like Oregon consistently has over the past nine games. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have Bo, who the hell knows what Oregon's <laughs> point total is? <laughs> you could probably run the ball on Utah. So I think Oregon still oh, definitely. gets to the 20s. You know, I do think that. Uh, but that's probably about it. Um, I mean, yeah, if Utah can commit everybody to stopping the run, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're, if you're 122nd in rush defense success rate, which is what they are. Like, if you can yeah. commit those that many bodies to not worrying about the pass, it's looking real tough for an offense. Like, run jumbo every play at that point yeah i mean you'll just need i mean ty has an arm right like this isn't what braxton burmeister was when he played (laughs) you know he does have an arm uh so yeah we do know he is physically capable of throwing a football i just need to see it in an actual game before i really really believe it yeah exactly yeah i I don't know, but I mean, on the other, so on that side of the ball, I mean, that's my expectation. I think if we're not playing Georgia, like the over under on points points has to be over 30. 
against almost oh, anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of ridiculous that gap, but uh, I think it's true in terms of how good Oregon's offense is and how mediocre, I mean, especially these Pac-12 defenses are. Uh, so that makes sense to me. Other side of the ball, how much will Utah score? I think big question for me is kind of the scaling issue here for Utah. Uh, mm. I think Utah is really good against not very good teams. Uh, and that's mm. not to say they're bad against good teams, but I like Utah has dismantled, you know, 42 to seven against Stanford, 45, 20 against Arizona, 42, 16, even against Oregon state when Oregon state was switching to a, another quarterback and on the road. So it's a little mm -hmm. different than the top 25 beavers that we know now, but Utah can handle plus those on, games on USC. Yeah. 48. Right. Is that what one 43, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. 43. Yeah. So they, they can do that, uh, against bad defenses. Um, but you look at like first UCLA, they struggled out of the gates there First Florida on the road. Um, which is, you know, the closest approximation to the type of road environment that they'll face here. It's a little weird because it was first game of the season, obviously. Um, but, you know, Utah was just clicking away at, you know, a seven-point quarter, six points, six points, seven points. Like getting a touchdown a quarter or, a touchdown or two field goals. That's what Utah did in that game on the road. Um, and I think, you know, maybe Oregon's defense, there's some approximation to Florida there and that they're physically talented uh can hold up against the run better maybe um but not like a supremely well coached defense yet <laughs> it's you know rough around it's a rough comparison but i just mean like Oregon has dudes that can match up here somewhat um the biggest worry it's... i think is Dalton Kincaid their tight end yeah that, he's the matchup problem killed Oregon last year um what does that look like uh he had 14 or 15 catches against usc uh i thought it was like even 16 i mean he was yeah. their only hope on offense in that game yeah and they exactly. still couldn't defend it so can it i mean we think oregon's bodies like a guy like jamal hill brian addison um triquez bridges like long dbs should be in theory oregon should have the bodies to match up with good tight ends um do they in this game like kincaid's gonna be the biggest test oregon's probably faced all year in that regard besides for the georgia game and we all know how that ended uh with those mm -hmm. tight ends so that's a big thing but like devon vele okay that's your number one threat uh like I think I'll take Christian Gonzalez in that one-on-one -on -one matchup. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not a ton else that really should scare you if you're an Oregon fan in terms of these threats. Um, they, they'll I think be able what that to run means, the ball a bit, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you were getting to it. I think what that means is that stopping the run is the biggest factor in this game on either side of the ball. Like Oregon stopping the run is is the biggest factor in this game. I mean, if you if Utah is able to bludgeon us like they did last year on offense, I mean, this game might get ugly, especially if Bo's not in the game. Yeah. Um, but you you got to get out ahead of these Utes early and keep it because a big loss or if Bo's out or something like that, um, 
you really got to cling to hope in that Oregon State game next week. Uh, Lord knows they've been looking at this one all all season and <laughs> licking their chops. Um, I mean, if it's a close loss in this game, we're doing our narrative forecasting, by the way. I guess it's technically a segment. Um, if you take a close loss to uh, Utah, I mean, obviously it depends on game state and stuff. Um, but either way, you're, you're still kind of just clinging for hope. Um, it doesn't totally eliminate us like we talked about from the Pac-12 title game, but... I mean, at that point, you're rooting for other scenarios to drop. Actually, we could be eliminated from the Pac-12 title game uh, by if the time USC's that game ends. Won. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, USC is favored in that game, but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Close win for the Ducks. I mean, similar mentality. Like, just get past the beeves. You can wipe your brow and say it was still a fun year at Autzen, despite what happened last weekend. And if it's a convincing win, if Bo's fine, if the offense is humming, even if Bo isn't fine and the offense is still humming, like, I'm still not going to get on my high horse about it. Like, we still got to play the best secondary in the conference after this. Um, and it's in a place where Oregon State doesn't really lose all that often. Uh, and they always play well. So we'll yeah, see what happens, man. Um, I, it would make me feel like Oregon's firmly the best team in this conference again. But I True. think last week will forever remove – well, you know, I mean, I don't know about forever. We'll see, I guess, what happens. But it definitely, like, takes Oregon off any conversation of they're alone in Tier 1 in this conference or mm. they're uniquely a great team in the history of the Pac-12. Like, they, you know, they didn't – they weren't able to run the table. They weren't able to go undefeated in conference play. They're good. They might be the best team in the conference, but this is still like a competitive race. Um, and it's time to shift into that mindset of like, okay, let's just measure up against these other Pac-12 teams and try to be the one that makes it out alive. Yep. Like the way we really should think about football games in the purest sense of them. Um, and that's why I kind of enjoy being out of the playoff discussion once in a while. But anyways... Um, you want to do some game predictions on this? I don't think we did it for last game. Maybe that was bad juju for us, but, uh, I don't know. How do you think this will shake out? Uh, the, uh, oh my God. I mean, it's just so hard to predict. Like if Bo plays, I will give it, um, Oregon, you know, 35, Utah, 31. Mm -hmm. you know it might even be i don't know it might be more than that even though like i eh, i'll go with that i'll go with that but with without bow i think it's like oregon 24 24 utah 35 or something i don't know yeah i think i'd agree could um, get stretched out more than that. I have no fucking clue if Bo doesn't play, to be honest. I know, man. And how crazy is that to say? Like, we're this far into the season, and we still have zero idea how this game is going to play out. Honestly, even with Bo, I don't know what the hell's going to happen in this one. Um, I mean, what's the spread right now? Is it, like, a couple Three. points? It's a field yeah, goal. Jesus. Um, I mean, with Bo, I still think he's got the talent, and, and, like, the offense will be in sync enough to where we get to 40. So I'll call it, like, if we have Bo and like a decently healthy Bo, give me like 45 to like 24. Uh, without him, I might even go more extreme than you did. If we don't have Bo in this one, like 
Ty hasn't shown us anything to be confident about. I'm going to go like Oregon 20, uh, not Washington, thank God. Utah like 50, I don't know, like 45. Uh, I honestly think we're going to get blown out if if uh, Bo doesn't play in this game. So, again, prove me wrong, Oregon. Like, give me something to get excited about on defense. Give me something to get excited about other than Bo on offense. I mean, they have, to be fair, with the run game, but show me that that can win you a game. Um, all right, man. Anything else on Utah before we move? We uh, get to Pac-12 picks very quickly. Uh, no, I'm good. All right, but let's get revenge. Screw these Utes. Um, Pac-12 slate. It's a good one this weekend, as it has been in general. But uh, obviously, the two marquee matchups with the LA schools and then Oregon and Utah. We always knew those were going to be good dampered a little bit this weekend by uh, stuff that happened last weekend, but uh, I'll give you pick of the board. Where do you want to go? Um, I will go to... I'll go to Wazoo, Arizona, uh, just because it's really interesting. A lot of really good games this week, uh, besides for Colorado UW. Um, yeah, man, Arizona playing for bowl eligibility. Yeah, Here Arizona playing for bowl eligibility. Got to ride with Arizona because of that. Super fun win for them last week against UCLA. Kind of crazy upset. We haven't seen one of those yet this year. First Pac-12 after dark game. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm taking Arizona against against a four-point spread as well. Um, it's at home. This is their Super Bowl right now until ter- Territorial Cup next weekend. Um, they need to win out. They're four and six. So, hey, hopefully the, the Wildcats can pull it off. Cougars are already bowl eligible. I don't really care about them. Uh, Oregon State, eight-point favorites on the road at Arizona State. Uh, we know the Beavers are terrible on the road. They're still playing Bengal Branson at quarterback, right? I, I think I got that right. Um, I don't know, man. I don't really know where to go with this one. I, I guess I'll just pick Oregon State. No, you know what? I said earlier in the season that they were going to lose this game before they play us. So, actually, give me Arizona State. I love it. Uh, that's... A good, that's a solid upset pick. I wait. So, what's the deal here? We need, we want Arizona State to win this game to a to for like one scenario tiebreaker with Washington. Yeah, yeah. So, In the the deepest of the darkest tiebreaker scenarios, yes, yeah. we would want ASU to win. Uh, so that's interesting. I kind of feel like they, I kind of feel like they do get it done. I kind of want Oregon State, like I want Oregon State to win so that next week's ranked because i think that's always fun but um but i kind of feel like arizona state it's just a trap spot on the road i kind of feel like they'll get it done i agree spread is eight on that game uh stanford at cal this is the game or the play anniversary whatever uh cal's five point favorite this is this is a disgustingly bad game of football that's going to be played uh neither of these teams can make bowl eligibility both of these coaches should probably be fired. Um, so I don't know, maybe root for Stanford's and Wilcox can be our defensive coordinator. Uh, I wouldn't mind that. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'll pick Stanford, I guess. How about you? Oh, my God. This is so ugly. I think Cal's the better team, so I'm going to pick Cal. All right, bet. Yeah, we got to get that one out of the way. Uh, let's get Colorado at Washington out of the way. Washington are 31-point favorites at home. Um, I mean, 
it would be very Washington to lose this game. Uh, and so for that reason, I'll, I'll take Colorado against the spread. But, I mean, who am I kidding? Like, Washington are going to blow the brakes off of them. Yeah, I'll take Colorado, I guess. Yeah. Sweet. And uh, the big game, other than the one the Ducks are playing in, USC are two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road, road in quotation marks, at the Rose Bowl. Uh, I have a feeling there are going to be more USC fans at this game than uh, than Bruins. Um, I I think this game is more straight up than it seems uh, on the spread. I don't know how you feel about it. Obviously, I, I haven't listened to no truck stops yet this week, clearly. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. How, what do you feel about this? I think I'm going to take USC, but I'm not very convinced about it. Yeah, I'm I'm in the process of writing my game uh game of the week preview on this one. It's definitely an interesting spot. Uh I mean, you know, just the LA schools being good and having a game of the significance is interesting. They've had two super fun ones the past uh two years that have been shootouts. Um I I think I just trust USC more. Like I think just mentally they view themselves mm-hmm as with more confidence than ucla does um and i just am kind of taken off by that loss that ucla suffered to arizona last week but i i wouldn't be surprised by anything i'm really excited to watch this game but ultimately like when i have to make a pick i just i just lean usc because of the confidence that they have in themselves i think yeah i'll have the portable charger in my pocket and we'll see how good the reception is uh in Autzen, but i'm definitely excited to watch the highlights of this game no matter what happens honestly um so yeah uh i don't know what the total is in that game it's got to be pretty high it's Um, it opened at above 80 and i think it's come down to 73 or something um (laughs) that's outrageous um 76 now yeah but it opened above 80 hopefully it's a good display for the conference as of right now Again, the only like the prevailing thought I keep having about both of these teams is like you really couldn't you really had to wait to leave the conference like before you actually started caring about football. I mean, look Absolutely. how good this conference is this season. It's it has a legit argument as like the second best conference top to bottom in, in college football right now. And it might have a really like it might definitively be the second best if it wasn't for like two programs firing their head coaches and a couple others in Cal and Stanford that are just the epitome of mediocrity right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, six ranked teams, I know ranked does, you know, it's relative. And like, yeah, when you have two teams below the hundredth mark, probably in the country, then this means less, but we have the most playoff ranked teams right now as, as a conference, like give yourselves a pat on the back, Pac-12 fans. It's, uh, it's been a good year for Pac-12 football. And that continues this weekend because there are no great national games on this slate. Um, unless you're the type of person who's excited by Big Ten football uh, or Sleepy Bedlam, as it is this year, there's just not a lot to be excited about this weekend. SoCon Saturday in the SEC, very, very briskly read. Are there any games that are jumping off the page to you as like, oh, I need to watch this in a bar before the Oregon game starts? Uh, I think there's a there's a get-together for Tulane alumni on Thursday night in Portland that I'll be going to for that. No way. Game, probably. That's sick. Yeah. Um, so I'll go to a bar for that one after a brutal loss for Tulane. Uh, otherwise, like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm less invested in the playoff race after the Ducks have been taken out of it, obviously. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I think like, you know, Michigan, Illinois, TCU, Baylor, um, are you know could get interesting spots. Clemson, Miami, like I might throw on at a tailgate. I'll be at the Oregon game as well. Um, nothing great though. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, maybe, but probably not. Probably not even. I'd just be would be. I don't even know if that's worth a second screen to divide my attention from USC, UCLA. Yeah, honestly. honestly. Um, TCU Baylor, I've been informed, is actually like a very fierce rivalry. It is. Uh, yeah. I I was not aware of this. Um, I don't know if your proximity geographically helped with you understanding that, but I did not know this was like actually a rivalry. So. Uh, and it actually means something this year, obviously. Uh, TCU still undefeated, still hanging on to number four. They're at Baylor. It's going to be a tough environment. Um, Baylor last year's Big 12 champs. That's honestly like the only game I'm, I would theoretically be excited about. I probably won't end up watching that much just because I'll be tailgating and whatnot. But um, I don't know, man. Great weekend to watch Pac-12 football if you're at home. So go check that out. Uh, Texas, Kansas. Can I interest you in, uh, in another Kansas upset? Oh of my Texas? God! Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> Texas is frauds. Oh my God! I really they thought are, they man. had it in them last week. They did not. What happened to the Ewers hype and like being a top four FPI team with two losses on the schedule? Like, what happened to that? Crazy. Um, Cra- I don't even know. Um, I, I I'm I'm not even sure how that happened. I guess the I guess the Alabama game. Yeah, I mean, I'm stupefied by it, honestly. Uh, last week against TCU, I think they had a defensive touchdown or a garbage time touchdown, and they only scored 10 points. So, like, that means their offense really yeah. scored three. Uh, it's pretty bad. So, I don't know, maybe check out a couple of those Big 12 games. But in general, enjoy all your weekends. Uh, read Reed's newsletter when it comes out to learn more about this L.A. Derby we got going on. Um, and, yeah, is, that, is there anything else I I feel like i'm forgetting something um i don't know can you, no. can you think of a segment that we do or something like that that we may have missed i'm not sure i think we're good uh world cup also probably will be on by the next time oh baby us, so. oh thank you reed let's go um, <laughs> yeah go watch the world cup it's gonna be awesome uh yeah man oh mvps bro we've got two mvps oh my <laughs> do god do you even want to from this game because oh I, I don't god. really know <laughs> Uh, I will give none on defense. <laughs> I will give mine. No, no. I'll. I, I mean, I'm going to take the easy ones off the board. I'll give mine to uh, Dante Thornton for for coming through the big play and Dasa for getting the interception. Yeah, that's fair. I like it. I'll stick with those as well. Um, <laughs> Troy, actually, we need to give a shout out to Troy Franklin, man. I meant to read this stat line out earlier, but uh, this man had 139 yards and a touchdown against Washington. <laughs> like, holy crap! Um, so yeah, go ducks, make Austin loud. Uh, don't get too depressed if we lose this game, even if we lose bad, because we can still beat the Beavers and still make the Pac-12 title game. And guess what? They have a terrible quarterback too. So you never know what's going to happen. Hopefully if UCLA wins. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Root for the Bruins and go ducks. Go ducks.